Our most gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, I am not worthy to be your mouthpiece. Lord, none of us are. But Father, when you call, you equip. And I thank you, God, for blessing me, Will Mary, and my sister Cheeky as well, Lord. I pray that you fill us with your Holy Spirit, God. And God, just may our hearts and minds be open to, Lord, what is presented this morning, God, because it was our experience, God. And may we just share as a family the experiences that we have with you, Lord, because we love you and because we know that you're real and we know that you're coming soon, Jesus, and we just want to be so happy for your appearing. And I just I thank you, God, for blessing us this morning with your Holy Spirit because I've asked it in Jesus' name. Amen. Before we get into everything in this presentation, I want to first very quickly introduce um, what this mission trip was. Uh, this mission trip was to a very special place in the Philippines. Um, it was on the island of Davao, which, if you don't know, is the southernmost island in the Philippines. And it was on this mountain. And this mountain is called Mount Sikau. And the brief history I'm going to give you in about three minutes of Mount Sikau is just um, that it was founded by a woman named Nanai, as far as I can pronounce, Nanai. And I know it's really hard to see, but she is the woman um, in the middle, standing, facing that wall. Um, Basically, she is kind of like, um, she runs a clinic where she helps women deliver babies. And she is a Seventh-day Adventist. She was um, running this clinic down by a river uh, near the bottom of Mount Sikau. And uh, she charged very little, and she was really reaching the people. And when the the women would come to um, uh, deliver the baby, the whole family would come with them. And so she'd care for the women and and have the family in in her home and and care for everyone, basically, while the the woman had the baby. Well, one one day, I guess, uh, the the wife of the chief of Mount Sikau came down the mountain, which is about a three-hour journey to come down this mountain, it's just dirt roads and rocks. And um, she went to this woman, Nanai, to have the baby. Well, in the process, she um, you have to understand, the people who lived on Mount Sikau were basically um, animalistic. They believed that in the gods of nature, and they, they didn't know about the true God of the Bible. And um, as this woman was um, staying with Nanai, she was giving Bible studies to her and having worship with her and and she was open to the truth, but um, she, during her pregnancy, there was complications, and she had to be rushed to, rushed to the emergency room and stay in critical care after the baby was born. And during that time, there was no one to watch this baby, and Nanai cared for the chief's wife's baby for, for the extent of time that this woman was in the hospital. And um, it just so happened that the, the wife, you know, said, okay, that was nice, but, you know, I'm going to go back to my mountain where, you know, I live, and kind of forgot about it. Um, after a, uh, quite a while, there was a young man who was a layperson for the Adventist church, and he was heading up near Mount Sikau, but not going to Mount Sikau to um, give Bible studies. And um, he randomly ran into the chief of Mount Sikau, and the chief was like, oh, what are you doing? And he said, well, I'm giving Bible study, and the chief got interested, and um, the chief invited his wife and was like, oh, I, I know about this. I, I heard about this when I was um, 
delivering my baby. And they, were both, they both accepted the truth, and they were both converted to Adventism. And they decided they wanted to go back to their mountain where they were, you know, the chief and his wife, and they wanted to convert the whole village. And that's pretty much what they did, is um, they, we, they basically wanted to turn this mountain of people who used to just kind of be nomads and worship nature and um, turn it into a, the prayer mountain, basically, and just turn it into a community of people who were Sabbath-keeping worshipers of God. And so... That's basically what happened is the, from one layman, from this woman and one layman, and the, just God putting the chief in the right place at the right time converted an entire community. And so now in Mount Seacow, they had uh, built a church. They have built a school and um, an Adventist school, and it was all done through Nanai as well as... Um, Nanai has connections with our sister Chiki, who came to visit us today, and Chiki has a ministry called Help International, which basically stands for health, education, livelihood, and leadership, and proclaiming the gospel. So through these funds, through, through her and through Nanai, they were able to change and transform an entire community, an entire mountaintop, basically, of people. And so that is the people that we went to go see. And these are the people who were new to the faith and um, new to understanding what is the Bible about, what is Adventism about, and just people who are not only physically hungry because it was this is a very poor area. There's um, people don't eat on a regular basis in this community. It's very rural, very poor. There's no electricity, uh, no running water, just the mountain. And so um, this is the community that we went to go see. And so I'll let Will Mary come up here and talk about her experience in Mount Seacow. Hi, everybody. Um, well, first of all, I want to say it was uh, truly a huge blessing. Just, I, I mean, I'd never thought that I'd be across the world, you know, a 16-hour nonstop flight in the Philippines, never in a thousand years that I think I would go. And uh, I want to say, first of all, that I believe that the people that went over there got more of a blessing um, ourselves than, you know, us trying to go help them. They kind of way, well, as for me, they helped me. Um, so I'm going to show you some pictures of our trip so you can uh, share along and kind of see a little bit. Okay, right here, there's me. <laughs> We're over here at the clinic where um, we have the lady that helps people with their births here. We're getting into uh, uh, the Jeep because we're going to go up the mountain. This is Kuya Miguel. Kuya is older brother Miguel. This man, the dedication he had up the mountain. I mean, this man was in the kitchen 24-7. I mean, we had community feedings, and I don't think he left the kitchen. I mean, since, I mean, you wake up really early over there. The, the sun is shining, like, at 4 a.m. You just wake up, and up in the mountain, it's just so bright. And it's just such a blessing because this man was so willing and so, to just give everything he had. And that just shows you um, that you don't have to serve God you can serve God in any way, even if it's through cooking. And, I mean, I wish I could cook, but I'm learning that. But Goya Miguel, he made the best food. So um, that's him. 
That's uh, part of our group. We have Christina and Emily, and this is Brother Romel. Brother Romel, he uh, is Filipino, and he is actually a layman. He is uh, dedicating all his studies to do uh, to do missionary work, and he was translating for us, and just a, a wonderful heart. Um, and then the other two girls, they're really good with kids. You can see their happy faces. Very nice people. Um, so over here, we're in the Jeep, all cramped up. <laughs> Seriously, you can fit like 10 people in a four, <laughs> in a four seat car. Okay, now this is on our way to Mount Seacow. You can see, um, you see the road? It's actually a mountain. Um, it's surrounded by plantains, by bananas. It's, it's in, it's in the middle of a banana plantation. And the people there, they uh, work these banana plantations. And it just kind of comes, I mean, next time I want, when you go to the store and you pick a banana that we're getting for 18 cents, sometimes if you go to uh, Fresh and Easy, <laughs> these people, um, they can work a whole day's labor. And if the bananas are not a certain size or a certain appearance and they don't, they don't take all their bananas, then they could be working for free. So um, it just shows us how, how we take so many things for granted that we have here. And uh, um, so this is, this is up the hill. We were actually, we walked all this up the hill to get to the mountain. We almost got lost, too. I ran into this big king bee, this big animal that I guess it's totally dangerous, and I had no clue it was, and I was like, oh, look at the bee. Um, so do you see over here that they're, the bananas are covered with um, these, um, these pl plastics? It's uh, the pesticides. So the people are getting the pesticides and stuff, but um, they do have the bananas to eat. They do um, have that because they don't even have rice sometimes. Now over here, um, we're actually in the village. These are some kids from the village. There's about 130 kids that go to that one Adventist school and they're, they're from, like, babies to, like, 18 years old. And you could have an 18-year-old that looks like 14 or 12 just because of the malnutrition. But you can see that they're very happy. Um, so these are, this is in the rain. I mean, it rains a lot. It's actually very cold up in the mountains. If you've been to the Philippines, it's very warm. And it's very hot. But up in, in Mount Seacow, you actually need a, a sleeping bag and you need coats and and, I mean, the kids are walking around. You, you can see them with T-shirts and, and, and their bare feet. This is, uh, this is Junjun. He's the cutest little guy. This is Junjun. He was always over at the main house trying to see what we were doing. Very curious. This is uh, some of the homes in the village. Um, very green. Uh, this is what the houses look like. And up there, you can see that um, there's not much covering. They're very, like, they're not, they're not fit for rain or wind or anything harsh. I mean, that mountain, when the wind blows so hard, the houses literally move. Um, I know it, it, they literally move. You feel like, like it's going to fall down. So these people, I mean, it's amazing, but they trust in God and and that's what's important. You know, we, we may be in a shack somewhere, like actually most of the world is. I mean, if you're not from a first world, 
I mean, Nicaragua is like that too. I know many people that are from Central America, other places in Europe. This is the same situation. Um, so over here, we're having morning worship. We would wake up every day before 5.30 or 5.30, jump in the shower, get into, you know, have a bucket with really cold water, and it really wakes you up, that's for sure. So we start worship in the morning, and then, um, then we go with the teachers, the staff over at Mount Seacal, very dedicated, educated individuals who could work in the city, but they choose to be up in Mount Seacal to help this community of, of children. And they're very dedicated, and it takes a lot of strength to be up there making very little money, but they have such a love for these people. These people have blessed them so much that they willingly choose to stay there and, uh, and help these kids and give them an education. Um, so over here, we're at the church, the kids' church. You can see them singing up there, and that's the inside of the church. They're just little pews, dirt floors. Um, over here, Dulce is uh, translating Tina. Over, um, we're singing. We did Bible stories. And the evening, we had evening evangelism for the adults. We had Bible studies. I mean, and it was a full load. When I, when I went to the Philippines, we were thinking, oh, some of our group went to the college. We went up to the mountain. We were thinking we were just going to be playing with the kids, helping out, giving food. But no, we, had, we were up since the morning, and we didn't go to sleep until very late, preparing for the next day. It was nonstop, but it was such a blessing, and there's so much work to do. Um, again, our brother Romel, he's doing evangelism. He's giving the sermons over here at evening, in the evening, um, like around 6. People would come from, okay, you see how there's a little tiny house in the middle of that mountain? Those, those um, Mount Seacow is surrounded by other mountains. And the people walk, the kids walk, and they, they walk... Um, for hours, even two hours at a time, just to go to school. And these people came to our evening service, or they would walk throughout the day at different times to come and hear God's word. And it's amazing because they are so hungry for God's word. And over here, we're trying to get whomever to come to church and wake up on time. It's just, it's just amazing because these people, they don't, they don't have to, but they want to. They do it so willingly out of their heart. So you see how it would be, they would be walking from that little house all the way to Mount Seacow through the jungle. And it is a jungle. Down that mountain, it is a jungle. We actually got to go hiking, and uh, we went down to a, a waterfall and um, got leeches on, on ourselves and all kinds of things, but it was fun. <laughs> You see over here, I had a little uh, friend stop by and visit my nose. Um, so Tina's climbing a tree over there. I have a bug on my nose. Then here we see, uh, it's nice that Tina put the real beauty. These little girls, they love each other. They're happy. I think they're sisters. And uh, they're just so happy to, to have us there. And here we have more of the kids. Mm -hmm. They're always hugging. They always want to touch you. 
um, these kids. Uh, one person there uh, told me that uh, actually one of the teachers said that they were so happy, the kids were so happy that we went there because we would actually touch them. People there, um, some of the kids have like skin diseases and uh, they don't get, they have lice and some people, they don't even want to touch them because they're going to catch something. And so all our group up there was playing with them and just uh, just treating them like human and loving them. And they were so happy, and we were so blessed by them. Uh, over here, they're playing in a box because, of course, they don't have toys. <laughs> you can see they're jumping in there. And in the back, those are bags of rice. And Chiki, when we went up the mountain, we... We took a lot of supplies, a lot of rice, because over there, if you don't have rice, you don't have any food. You don't have food. You can have whatever you want, but no rice on the table. It's like with, you know, Hispanics, rice and beans. You have to have rice and beans if not, you're not eating. But it's so expensive right now. The rice bags are getting so expensive. So um, we have them playing in the box. And over here, they're holding hands and just playing around. You see the houses in the back. Sometimes the clothes don't dry because it rains. Um, it rains so much, and they hang them up in the sun. But you don't know because it could be really bright and sunny, and then maybe in the next 20 minutes, you know, it's like pouring on you, cats and dogs. Okay, and here's more of our group. And these are uh, part of the staff, uh, teachers. These are the people that, they're pretty much the leaders of the community. And they are just so helpful and so uh, loving towards these kids. And, yeah, that's that pretty much in a nutshell. I wish, I mean, you have to be there. But I'm glad that we can come over here and just share a little bit of our experience. And, um, yeah, uh, thank you so much. Okay, I'm going to share a little bit about my portion. Is um, my, The mission trip actually for me started back in June. We left June, what, 14th, 15th, 20-something, 20 24th. We started, we left for, for Mount Seacal June 24th. For me, this mission trip started about a month before. Um, I... Right before I was leaving, we were told that if you bring anything, clothes, everything you bring, make sure it's something you don't mind giving away because when you see the need there, you will give the shirt off of your back because people don't have clothes, people don't have anything. And so I was there and I was just, remember talking to my mother before I left and I said, Mom, like, you know, I don't, I don't know what they, I'm going to do giving away all my clothes because for God, I've given up everything. And I was in a place where I was trying to do everything for God. I was really trying to surrender. And like I am writing here, I had a resume of ministries. I mean, I was a religious vice president of my university. I have been in Finish the Work Ministries. I have ministries in Orange. I have ministries that I go traveling with on the weekends. That's why I'm not here all the time. I have so many ministries, and I, was, and I go to Bible studies, and everything in my life was just about God and the ministry. And I, I was just feeling... Like, you know, God, I'm doing the right thing, right? Like, 
you know, I've, I've given up everything worldly. I don't listen to any more worldly music. I don't watch TV. I don't watch movies. Like, I'm doing everything right, God. You know, like, I'm doing everything right. I'm, I'm walking the right road. And I just was so sure it was me that I was doing the right thing. And so going on this mission trip, I remember saying, Mom, you know, I think I've just given up everything. I don't think God could ask me to give up anything more. And... <laughs> God, when you say something like that, God has a funny way of just um, showing you reality. Um, so before I left, my roommate had come back from a retreat, and she said that God had told her something. And I was like, why is God speaking to you and not me? You know, about, and she said it was about me, and she said that God would tell me when I was ready. And I was like, well, why aren't I ready now? Like, why isn't God telling me now? Like, that doesn't make any sense. And this is what she said. She said, you have news. God will tell you. And when he talks to you, come talk to me. And I said, okay, that's kind of bizarre. Why isn't God telling me now? So I was praying about it. I said, okay, Lord, whatever you've told my roommate, Amy, I'm sure you'll tell me. And um, the mission, mission trip comes, and he hasn't spoken to me yet. And um, I thought, well, Lord, okay, speak to me when you're ready. And we go on this mission trip, and, um, you know, we're just up at 4 in the morning, 4.30, and we're getting ready, and we have worship, and then we do the children's worship, and we do the adult worship, and then we do um, community feeding, and then we do evangelism at night, and then we're planning for the next day, and um, just trying to keep everything organized. We're going to bed at 10, 11, 12, 1, 2 in the morning, and getting up at 4. And so, you know, day in and day out, I didn't hear God tell me anything other than what I needed for that day, and I became 100% dependent on God. And I realized just how much work there is to be done out there for the Lord. And I was just learning and um, one major thing that I learned from Mount Sikau was from this little girl. Um, this girl here, um, she's just amazing. Um, she actually um, has leukemia, and she lives up on this mountain. And my understanding is that she is also mistreated by her parents very badly. And yet in the midst of all these hardships on not only just the fact that she lives in a community where she, you know, sleeps next, you know, she has a home with a dirt floor and she doesn't eat regularly and they don't have electricity, they don't have anything. Um, she is so happy and she's so beautiful. She just shines and she just had this love inside of her, love for other people and love for Jesus that I just didn't understand because in the midst of all my busyness, I think I'd really taken my eyes off what mattered, which is the love of Jesus Christ. And I came back from that mission trip a little bit different. And I didn't understand, you know, God, you know, I thought you said you were going to speak to me. And, and I mean, I, I learned that I need to be grateful. I learned that I need to, you know, keep my eyes on you, Lord. That's important. But... I felt like there was something that I still was missing. I felt like there was something I hadn't given up. There was something in my heart that I hadn't, you know, totally surrendered to the Lord. Well, about two weeks later, um, my roommate and I had, I had just moved into her condo. She has a three-room condo, and each, um, each 
bedroom has a bathroom, so it's very set up for three people living there. So we had her and I in, in two different rooms, and we had a roommate. And so all of a sudden, this other roommate had her parents' house burned down. She had to move out immediately because she wanted to go stay with them and, and live with them and care for them. And we had this room open up, and my roommate said, you know, but, but don't worry about it. God's taking care of it. And I'm just thinking, oh, my goodness, we have, like, so many hundred dollars in rent we need to, to you know, get filled in about two weeks, and I don't know what we're going to do. And she's just like, Tina, don't worry about it. God has it. And I was just like, what do you mean? And she's like, I think God's doing something. And I'm just totally in the dark going, Lord, what are you talking about? Well, I had been praying about a week before that, and um, I remember saying in my heart, Lord, you know, one day I'd really like to be a foster parent, but, um, you know, one day we, like, give that to me. I was like, well, obviously I can't do that now, so I'm just not going to pray about it. I'm not going to worry about it. When she said that room opened up and she said God's doing something, I was like, Lord, what are you doing? And so I hung up with her, and I said, Lord, what, are you, what, is, what is she talking about? And immediately God's Holy Spirit just flooded my mind. He said, foster parenting, Tina, foster parenting. That's it. That's what the room's opening up for. And I'm like, what? No, 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 no. No, 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 no. I surrendered everything already. I gave up everything. Like, this is my house. This is my house. Like, I've earned this. This is my house. Like, you can't take that away from me now. And, you know, I'm 24. I'm in the middle of graduate school. I, you can't be serious, Lord. You cannot be serious. And he said, Tina, foster parenting. And I was like, no, 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 no. I was like, God, is this what you told Amy that I need to come talk to her about now? And I said, Lord, I'm dead serious. I want a dream. I want a dream, and I want you to confirm this with a dream. I I know I'm being Gideon right now, but Lord, I just, I need this. I need to know that this is from you. And that, um, the next day I prayed very hard, and um, I just said, Lord, I'm so serious. Give me a dream if if it's your will. Thinking he's not going to do it, and I'm going to be able to go back to my routine where I'm comfortable, where I can do what I want to do, you know, on my terms. Well, no, God says, okay, you want to test me like that? I'll prove you. And he gave me a dream, confirming, Tina, you are to be a foster parent. And I woke up right away and said, oh, my goodness, Lord, you did not just give me that dream. And I said, Lord, I want another dream. I want to double confirm it. I'm Gideon. I know. Lord, please just confirm it with another dream. And he did. And I said, okay, God, I take my hands off of it. This is your will. And that next day, I come to the breakfast table with my roommate. And I said, "Um, so I think God talked to me. And he told me to tell you something, but I'm not sure if it's the same thing that he told you two months ago. So um, what do you think about foster parenting? And she about jumped out of her seat and said, that's exactly what God told me. So God had told her two months ago to be a foster parent with me in our house before, he knew, before she knew that a room would open up, before she knew that I would even think of considering it. God told her, and God told me, and it was confirmed. And God led us to the most amazing child care center you've ever seen. And it was founded by two women who saw a need and um, two sisters in Christ. And they just, they spent their whole life um, caring for the needs of parentless children. And I was just like, it's, it's us. That's our story. Like that's us two sisters in the Lord who care about children. 
and um, just want to serve and, and be a mother to the motherless. And um, this morning, I just thought it was so funny because we finally got our call for the child that we're um, going to get. And um, we had been praying about it, and God had said, you're going to get a little boy. Oh, that's another thing. Um, you're going to get a little boy. Sorry. And he's going to be named Samuel. And um, because it's going to be like the story of Samuel. Because we've asked God for this, and it's of the Lord. And this morning I got a phone call saying, you're going to get a little boy. And we're just like, Lord, you are so amazing. You are leading. And um, the reason I share this with you is not to glorify myself or to say, look what I'm doing. Look at all the amazing things God's doing in my life. And why aren't you doing anything? Or, you know, not to, to brag or to, to glorify myself because I'm nothing. And I recognize I'm nothing. And a lot of you have known me for many years and have seen me grow up from being a, a funny little 14-year-old girl to the, the woman I am today. And I just hope that when you look at my life and you look at me and you see me, that you can see the power of God working in one person's life. I hope that you see that it, if Tina, this little dork who, who likes to sing, who, who goes to school and goes to work just like everyone else, can do something for the Lord and have the Lord work in my life, he can do the same for you because he who started a good work in you is faithful to do it until the day of the, Lord, the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And um, I just want to encourage you that whatever the Lord has placed upon you, whatever ministry, whatever little avenue that you see God can use you in to bless somebody, please, please, by no means um, brush it aside that it's nothing, because it's not. You can affect one person, and if you can just affect one person, that's what Jesus Christ came and died for. And... Um, the verse that I'm just clinging to right now that I learned up actually, I learned to memorize up in Mount Seacow was 1 Corinthians 10.13 that basically that God does not give us more than we can handle. And a lot of people say, Tina, you know, you're young, you're single. Why are you, why are you trying to be a, a foster parent? Why would you do that? And I just said, because God told me to. And if God tells me to, I'm going to do it. And I just want to um, tell you that we serve an almighty God, and I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I would like to just say praise the Lord for the testimonies of these two young women. Um, my name is Cheeky, and I am kind of like the overall in charge of the project in Seacow. Tina and Will Mary was just a very small part of the great plan God had for us this summer. And I'm going to unfold it because it's really a story of trust, of commitment, of daring, of faith. Because actually these two people, when they went there, they did not know the danger they were facing. And I'm going to give you the background. Actually, our organization 
reaches out to tribal groups that people do not care for. This is a tribal group that live in the mountain. We have another project that reaches out to Muslims. And just like what the acronym HELP stands for, we really try to push the gospel because only when the Lord is in our hearts is transformation going to be permanent. There will, should be progressive growth. Otherwise, we're going to fumble. And I'll tell you, Three years of helping Mount Seco hasn't been easy. There have been moments when the vision was lost. People become selfish. People dwell on relationships. They become so immersed in what they want, they forget that actually we're there to serve the Lord. And I will tell you, at the beginning of this year, the Lord gave me a vision. Kind of not in the mind, but when I was praying. And he told me, Chihi, I'm going to tell you, this is going to be a difficult year for you. I was about ready. I said, I didn't know what to do. And I'll tell you, it's difficult. It's been very difficult. But as much as it's been difficult, God's love, compassion, his mercies, his strength is there. And it's new every day. Uh, one thing I'm battling right now is my father's in the hospital. He's been there, and this is the sixth week. He'd had a four-cabbage surgery with so many complications. Right now, he even has a chest tube. On and on and on. And this has been going on for the last six weeks since I arrived from the Philippines. But you know what? The Lord told me it's going to be difficult. I said, Lord, I'm not going to complain. I'm going to praise your name. Just like what you did for us in the Philippines. But let me give you the background. Before I left for the Philippines... The mission already begun because the devil had his guns, one after the other, turned into the school. Number one, I had a teacher, supposedly was very committed to the Lord, had a pregnancy out of wedlock. And what happened? It just distorted the whole picture of the community against the teachers. Remember, teachers are the ones who are the primary role models, the primary caregivers. We do not have a pastor that's assigned. Nobody wants to live on that mountain. So we've gotten these teachers. And then the gun started just blazing up. One after the other, the teachers were tried to the utmost. Number one, our principal got sick with dengue. I don't know if you know what dengue is. His platelets, which is usually 150,000 to 250,000 normal, went down to 70. Almost died. Strike two. And you know, these teachers do not have medical insurances. We come out and help them. Third one, I had a teacher who could not see. Had to go surgery. This is like every week I have a problem that comes out. And this is before Tina and Will Mary even left. Then I had another teacher. His daughter had a boil in the, in the nose, and it required surgery. And I'm just praying every day. It's like I'm muscles flat on my back saying, Lord, what are you doing? What are you doing in a place that's already so poor, so miserable? And here you're just allowing this to happen? Then the other thing that happened, which was the straw that would melt, would, would break the camel's back was this. We, down the base of the mountain, we had another church that we were trying to nurture, still another tribal group. The chief in that village kind of was leaning towards becoming an Adventist, but, you know, with so many problems around the area, he was just saying, yeah, it's good if I can become one, it's good. No, you know, not a very committed decision. Anyhow, his area 
and this is just down the base, his area has been really um, liked by one of the people, I would say the key leaders that are in the area. Let me tell you a little background. There's a man in the Philippines, and you're going to laugh and scoff about this. He literally claims that he's the appointed son of God. And you know where he lives? Or he's, he, he has his headquarters a few kilometers from where we are. And he calls himself the appointed son of God and has a prayer mountain because the Lord descended to him because he predicted Jesus would come. And since he didn't come, the Lord told him that he was the incarnate who came down. And we laugh at it, but I'll tell you, he's very powerful. He, not only is he powerful, he's very close to the political people. And he even, because he has money, gave the mayor a big helicopter. And I know his territory was bounding. You know, the boundaries were right beside this place where our church was down the mountain. And he wanted that area because he wants to build a new Jerusalem. And he has been trying to court the chief to sell out, give it to us. He said, no, this is where our church, this is where our people belong. And you know what happened? He threatened, he attempted to burn the house, and the chief still said no. Four weeks before we left for our mission trip, something happened. He hired, because he has soldiers, this set of soldiers, went down one evening and massacred this chief sprayed bullets so here we are at the verge of our mission trip one teacher after the other discouraged wanting to leave and then our lives even at stake believe me i would call now i don't know tina and i called i i very very just softly gave them that you know we have to go down the mountain but the extent of the burden was in my heart i prayed i fasted i will tell you and you know what happened that was the last thing I got in my telephone text. Did you hear? Dato Duming, dead. His wife was able to crawl out from those bullets and really identify those people who sprayed. But would the government do anything? No. The next thing was, we are going there. Is it safe? Do you know what the answer would be by the people or the, even our church members? We'll see. So where do I go? Where do I go? My son is bringing 16 people Tina and Will Mary are only the first part of a mission trip I thought would be two weeks that really ended to be five weeks. God has a way of reclaiming his own. And I'll tell you, that was the heart of the mission trip, reclaiming what God had. And I am more in the position to let you see, no, because I see the overall picture. They were only part of the answer. And you know, as I prayed and I keep pleading, Lord, you got to do something. The Lord led me, and I'm going to take this time to really address this. Psalms 27. And this was like the Lord keeps speaking to me because I would, I, I'll tell you, it's no joke to be fearful. And you know, when you're afraid, that's of the devil. You are definitely treading in devil's territory when you are afraid. Psalms 20, I know I said Psalms 29, by the way. No, no, no. Sorry, it's 27. This was the, and this was given to me in church two Sabbaths before. And again, the following week, somebody sang this. And the Lord was just answering my prayer. And this is it. Actually, it's the whole chapter, but I'll read a few texts. You can read 
this later because I need to finish the story. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Whom shall I be afraid of? When the wicked, even mine enemies and my foes come against me to eat up my flesh, they stumble and fall. Though an host should encamp against me, and my heart shall not fear, the war should rise against me, on this will I have confidence. And on and on, for in the time of trouble, verse 6, he shall hide me in his pavilion, in the secret of his tabernacle shall he hide me, that he, and he shall set me up against a rock. And really, I, I read this whole chapter, and the Lord spoke to me, particularly the last. You know, we're saying, Lord, are we going? Is it going to be safe? In fact, I had one teacher, one teacher who was also our Bible worker. When all these things were happening, he came back to me and to my cousin Miguel, who's also in charge in the Philippines, and said, can you guarantee our safety if we stay on this mountain? I told my cousin, tell tell that Bible worker, we are not God. He needs to go back on his knees and pray and ask if it is God's will for him to stay there. I am not going to guarantee anybody's safety. Instead, is how strong is your faith? That's the issue. And you know, he left. God has a way of weeding out people anyway, praise the Lord. And Romel right now is in charge in there. But this is what he said. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage. He shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say on the Lord. And like the answer was there. Wait. Meanwhile, be strengthened. I need to encourage myself. And so, did I talk fear? No, I didn't. When I talked to their mission group, I told them, you know, this is a danger in here. But really, I knew that that the guns of Satan were just blazing right in there. Because, you know, the vision that God gave me was that we were to take back that place, Mount Sikal. To be his own. Here it was. Then I had one teacher. Really faithful. But was so discouraged. That somebody even. You know his former bosses. That were in Mountain View College. Told him. Leave that place. Leave it. There's nothing good in that place. That's going to come. It's all hardship. But you know. Before I left for the Philippines. While I was praying. And the Lord was giving me answers. I had a very strong impression that morning. The name of this person is Bonnie. He said, like God was telling me, tell this man, write this man, email this man, give him something. And uh, I said, Lord, I got up from prayer. I went to my computer and I started writing him, uh, you know, a strong letter that he needs to be encouraged, that the Lord is is, is there, and that he promised us. And I gave him verses in the Bible, the ones that we'd sing in, uh, in uh, Second Corinthians 4, 6 to 9. You can look at that. That was the verse I was quoting him. And you know what? I didn't even know when Tina and Will Mary went there. That's exactly the verse that they taught. I mean, how God puts his things together. And then not only that, 
I, was, I went to the amazing facts and I got this and I'm going to read this because this was exactly what I wrote him. And I don't know, you know, you, in the Philippines, you need to go down the mountain to check your email and go to the city. I wrote that that morning, which is evening in the Philippines. He went down the following day and received what I wrote. And out of that, I also gave him a quotation. And then this is the quotation that I want because this is an encouragement to all of us. You know, sometimes God wants us to stay in our post no matter how difficult it is. Because he wants his light to shine. And if we leave it, you are not advancing his cause at all. And this is what I wrote him after I quoted that text, 1 Corinthians 4, 6 to 9. This is what I also, I said, Bonnie, I am enclosing this. The Lord has impressed me to give and share with you. It says, the Lord has given to every man his work. It is his business to do it. And the devil's business to hinder him, if he can. So surely as God has given you a work to do, Satan will try to hinder you. He may present other things more promising. He may allure you by worldly projects. He may assault you with slander, torment you with false accusations, set you to work defending your character, employ pious persons to lie about you, editors to assail you, and excellent men to slander you. You may have Pilate and Herod and Annas and Caiaphas all combined against you. And Judas standing by, ready to sell sell you for 30 pieces of silver. And you may wonder why all those things come upon you. Can you not see that this whole thing is brought about through the craft of the devil to draw you off from your work and hinder your obedience to God? Keep about your work. Do not flinch because the lion roars. Do not stop. To stone the devil's dogs. Do not fool away your time chasing the devil's rabbits. Do your work. Let liars lie. Let secretaries quarrel. Let corporations resolve. Let editors publish. Let the devil do his work. But see to it that nothing hinders you from fulfilling the work that God has given you. He has not sent you to make money. He has not commanded you to get rich. He has never bidden you to defend your character. He has not set you at work to contradict falsehood, which Satan and his servants may start to peddle. If you do these things, you will do nothing else. You you will be at work for yourself and not for the Lord. Keep about your work. Let your aim be steady as a star. Let the world brawl and bubble. You may be assaulted, wronged, insulted, slandered, wounded, and rejected. You may be abused by foes, forsaken by friends, and despised and rejected of men. But see to it that with steadfast determination, with unfaltering zeal, that you pursue the great purpose of your life, an object of your being until at last you can say, I have finished the work which you gavest me to do. 
Barney opened his email that following day and tears started streaming down his eyes. He said, I was ready to quit. But this really inspired me as I went back to the word. And this article was written by HMS Richards long, long time ago. And I don't know why I was able to get it and hook it to him. So really, when we set on our journey to go to Mount Sika, we had an enormous task. So enormous, I didn't know where to begin. But you know what? The, the task was just said, I want this place to be a holy mountain. I want it to be mine. If Kiboloi, this fake Jesus Christ, calls his place a prayer mountain, I want to have my own holy mountain. And so the task for us was to reclaim that and say, Lord, where do we begin? This is where Tina and Will Mary came. Their whole group came down and descended in that mountain and started the very beginnings of transforming it because God said, I want them to be people of my word. They need to get back to where it belongs. And so that first week we started was, they would, they did so many Bible studies. They would start, you know, the whole place has never had a week of prayer. Never. And so this was their job. They started with the teachers in the morning for worship. Then they went to the children. Then they went to the community. Uh, and then they had a, one, uh, a group week of prayer for the teachers because I wanted them to see the vision and the mission that God wanted them to see. And then in the evening, they did the community. No wonder they were busy. And in the meantime, God was telling us, show these people what it is to love, to be loved. We started feeding the community. You know, we, we fed the children, so they were busy. They fed the children, they fed the community our first week. The, when they left, I had another second week of uh, workers that came. And this time we did physical makeup. You know, the school that they initially started, the roof was blown away. They had not enough classroom buildings. We managed to use the whole community in four different projects, including livelihood, where they would learn how to plant. At the same time, we constantly had worship and a study of God's word because that was what God wanted us. For that remaining weeks, then we did put, you know, somebody donated some paints. And for the first time after we were done, we painted the, the school after we built that, the old building. And you know what? I saw a change in the on the people's perspective. I think they never saw anything before that was painted. And so having that schools painted, it almost felt like they began to get ownership, that they had a mission. And not only that, when Romel came, we started really initiating a program where we would start visiting the community and praying with them, beginning to understand our problems. Because mind you, being so... You know, being so poor sometimes, people just concentrate on that. You have this mindset that you're on this cycle of, of, of not able to eat. I'll tell you, God manifested his, his goodness and kindness in different beings, in different, in different experiences. But the moment, well, let me back off. We also started studying God's word and we wrote, told them, Number one, we started Second Chronicles 20 about King Jehoshaphat. I knew the moment I left and the team left 
Satan would descend down, just like he did with Jesus Christ. And then I told him, your success in being committed and faithful is to really go back to the word, pray fast, be united, and have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And it was a long journey. In fact, after we left, there was such a commotion even within the church. They were fighting among each other. We had to come back. Because Satan descended. And I'm not going to go in there, but instead glorify that these people slowly, slowly, slowly began to understand what is said here in um, Ephesians. This is the parting text that we gave them. Ephesians 6, verse 16. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. I was thinking I had to go to another of my projects and stay there, you know, the last two weeks, but God had other plans. We really spent five weeks on that mountain, the longest we've ever been, trying to reclaim what God did. But I will tell you, on our last Sabbath there, I said, Lord, you got to show me that we made a difference here. I mean, here we are. It's almost like we're ready to leave. And these people, I need to see this. And that Saturday, when we were having our service, a whole bunch of community people came Number one, we had a visitor that was not even an Adventist and was so involved with the word, asking questions. And I was so surprised that the people in the community were the ones answering them. That was enough, one proof. Two, the people came back to us and really started telling us their testimonies of what, how their faith has been strengthened. So I look back and I say, Lord, you are amazing. But you know, what has given me the challenge right now is this before I close is that I come back to the United States and I begin to see the same problem is actually happening in our churches. You know, I don't know if you're aware, we have such a high priest who's able to do us, but Satan and is his last few moments in time. And he is not only doubling, tripling, his efforts, but he is using everything he has. And there's three ways Satan really ensnares us. In Mount Sikau, what he does is he discourages. That's what he does. He discourages the people so easy. A lot of us here are not discouraged because you know why? We make ourselves our own gods. We have answers to everything. The other thing he does is he destroys yeah, he destroyed our building, you know. He destroyed so many other things there. Sometimes uh, a big storm comes in, blows out their homes, their homes turn are over. But I tell you, the third one is very sly. He deceives. And I think that's what he uses in our churches right now. Particularly here in America. And sometimes we are so oblivious but when you come into a position where you begin to see the whole picture, you begin to realize that you and I have a sacred responsibility. If we claim that God has come into our lives, then there has to be a transformation. 
There has to be that whole dedication wanting to experience the Lord. And so I challenge you, church members, this is no time to dilly-dally. If it can happen in Mount Sika where the devil wants to get anything, he's out here to get all of us that's in here right now. And we need the same thing that we needed there. Prayer, in-depth prayer. I came to attend the ASI conference with Jerry Page and Janet Page. Prayer warriors for the Lord. And more than anything, the success of Central California Conference, the fact that people pray. Pray, pray, pray. Where you wrestle with the Lord. Agonize like you were Jacob through the night. You need to pray. You need to open God's word and learn his promises because really in a time of trouble, that's all what we need to cling on is his word. We need to be united. That's where Satan wants to deceive us, you know. We need to even fast for the salvation not only of us, but for the salvation of others. That gospel has to be preached so we can all go home. And to close, I was reading this book. This was written by Joe Cruz, who's already dead, but my, what he says here is really something. You know, Ellen G. White in some churches is not even quoted, but since I have the pulpit right now, I'm going to use it. And I don't, so some of you who don't believe it, but I'm going to tell you. This book is a quotation from Testimonies to Ministers. Mrs. White was so filled with agony and woe because God showed her what the, how the last day church, Seventh day Adventist church is going to behave. And she wrote this thing. In fact, it says here, in one instance, Mrs. White was permitted to hear and record an actual planning session of the devil with his demons. These are the words Satan used in addressing his evil angels. So this is a vision she had. And those of you who want to read this, this is in Testimonies to Ministers, page 474. And this is what, what the devil was coding to his demons as a way to ensnare us in the last days. Lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God will be our most effective helpers. Those of this class who are apt and intelligent will serve as decoys to draw others into our snares. Many will not fear their influence because they profess the same faith. We will thus lead them to conclude that the requirements of Christ are less strict than they once believed. And that by conformity of the world, they would exert a greater influence with worldlings. Thus, they will separate from Christ. They will have no strength to resist our power. And ere long, they will be ready to ridicule their former zeal and devotion. My brothers and sisters, where are you standing? I come to you very passionate about this because I've seen, I've seen how the devil works. And so I plead with you today, do not be that instrument that the devil's going to use. Stand firm. Stand on your foes. Stand with your faith. Because our time is very short. And if we don't do what we are supposed to do, we don't know. We will be here for the next how many more years, but we want so bad to finish that work. And God is looking for that final generation who would rather die than sin. 
So we really need transformation in his lives, his power, as it exerts that mighty influence. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father God, you love us so much and you trusted us with so much. You gave us Jesus Christ so we could have a second chance to enter into the kingdom. Lord, don't let that sacrifice be just laid aside for naught. But instead, give us a vision. Give us a mission. Give us a passion of you, what you want us to accomplish in our lives. And Lord, rain down that Holy Spirit. Break us so that we can see our great need for you. And ultimately, Lord, when you do that, finish that work. Finish that work in our lives and in this generation. For I ask this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you.